an honor and privilege to be here with you guys. And also, it's just fun being on this platform and have people in the room. So, uh, so I was here uh, about three and a half years ago, uh, peak COVID, and there were no people. I don't miss those times at all. Okay, how many of you would say we don't miss those times? There's just something different when you gather together with people and uh, you're able to celebrate what God's doing. Uh, I'm blessed and honored to be traveling with the, uh, I'm going to call him the next gen director of the Northern New England District for the Assemblies of God. Uh, Travis and Aaron Nicholson are in the back of the room. But, uh, and I'm thankful because uh, home for me is the Springfield, Missouri area. And right now it is negative two degrees there. So the thought of me coming to the Northeast and it being warmer here than it is back home, I never thought I'd see that, but I'm thankful for it. Amen. Uh, I'm excited to be here with what I would consider heroes of the faith this morning and Beniah and Asher and Abram and Benton. Uh, because when it comes to, amen, give those guys a hand, come on. So I can, you know, it's, it's always ironic. So leading the ministry of Speed the Light, Speed Light provides transportation, communication, partners with missionaries who demonstrate compassion, uh, just leading the charge for this across our nation. We're celebrating last year uh, across our nation, $15.5 million was raised uh, through students and churches like yourself. And I'm pleased to announce that this church, okay, this church did something that was never done before in the history of the district, okay, this church not only raised $110,000, but this church also ranks number 11 in the entire nation. Number 11 in the entire nation. So, uh, I, you know, I had a lot of fun watching uh, Breed the Light take off here at Restoration Church. Some of you may be thinking, what's Breed the Light? Hey, you bring two animals together and you sell their puppies. It's not Speed the Light, it's Breed the Light. Come on. Um, and we had a lot of fun at the national office just talking about that and watching what God did. And I love watching... Uh, the Gagney boys, you know, under the guidance of their parents. I love Nate and Michelle, been friends with them. Nate and I were DYDs together. Um, and uh, just watching how they're raising their family to be generous and watching the four boys make a decision to be all in, to give an unwavering yes. And, and that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Okay, because as I travel, and I travel a lot, Okay, so many people say to me, something, do you have a family? I do, so I brought pictures. Can I show you pictures real quick? So my wife, this is the whole crew. Okay, so um, this is my mother-in-law right here. She lives with me, and she's the reason why I travel as much as I do. <laughs> all right? Um, I'm, I'm mostly joking, and she tells me all the time, what are you saying about me from the platform? And I tell her, I'm like, I tell people you're the reason I travel because you live with me. And she just, that's not funny. I'm her only son-in-law, so she has to put up with me. And I provide for her, so there's that benefit. Um, and then next to her, that's my youngest daughter, Emma. Emma is 17. Okay, my wife, Liz, we've been married 25 years as of last August. So yeah, so kudos to her for putting up. She's holding our oldest granddaughter, Nella. Nella is five. Some of you are thinking to yourself, you're not old enough to have grandkids. Uh, it's not true any longer, and I'll tell you, but in the middle here, this is Taylor. 
We took guardianship of Taylor. She was our foster kid back in 2010. Uh, she's been with us ever since, and she has two daughters. So the two girls you see in this picture, they're hers, but they're ours. Next to her is my oldest uh, biological kid, Matt, and his wife, Taylor. And you can see a brand new baby with them. So I am a grandpa. I'm a papa. Okay, officially as of October 28th. And then next to her is uh, my middle daughter, Abby. She's 21 with the three-year-old, Nora. Let me show you a picture of EJ. Can I do that? Okay, there he is right there. Come on. <laughs> All right. And what was amazing was we were in Montana, October 28th. We got to be there when EJ was born. And it was a big deal because my son's like, Dad, you have to be there. Like, you have to be there when he's born. And I'm like, man, there's going to be a bunch of people there, Matt. Like, I can come two weeks after. He's like, no, because we want to announce the name. You know, they didn't tell us what they were naming their son. We want to announce the name. And then all of a sudden, EJ was born at 4 o'clock. And about 7 o'clock, we got to go back in the room. And they had him swaddled in a blanket. And we were just waiting for the big reveal, you know. And I'm like, what is it? What's it going to be? Like, I got to get to New Mexico. I'm supposed to be speaking. And all of a sudden, they unwrapped his blanket. And on his chest, it said, EJ, Eric James. And I lost it. Okay, my wife tells me I suffer from emotional constipation. I do. Okay. <laughs> Nate knows me. He knows, like, I, I'm not sensitive over anything, but I was crying. I cried that night when I got back to the B&B. The next morning, I went to the airport. I cried on the airplane. And then I got to the uh, airline club in Seattle, and I started looking up spiritual meaning, the spiritual meaning of the name Eric James. Never did this before. Eric James, okay, the spiritual meaning of his name is the ever-powerful follower. Ever-powerful follower. And then I'm like, okay, then if Eric James is ever-powerful follower, what's Eric Lee? Okay, Lee's my middle name. I'm like, the ever-powerful thing, it just makes sense. Yeah, I get it. You know, joking. Um, ever-powerful, the clearing. Lee means the clearing. And I recognize that God has set me apart for a very specific reason, to clear the way for the next generation to lead, okay? And I love the fact that I'm here today and Nate is up here announcing the next gen takeover. I need you to know, guys, I travel the nation, okay? Last week I was in Arkansas for the entire week. I'm here for a week. I go to Louisiana for a week, okay? Travel the entire nation. There's not another church within the Assemblies of God that does what you guys do here. Okay, giving your young people an opportunity to give their yes and to lead. Okay, it's special. Okay, but shouldn't we have been doing this all along? For me, as I've been navigating this journey, like, I need, if you're new here this morning, if you're new watching online, like, please don't hold this church accountable for me. Okay, I tend to lead differently. I'm intense, I'm passionate because I truly do believe in what God has called me to do. And that's to clear the way for the next generation. I recognize that potentially we've been leading as adults in a way that we were never designed to lead. We've been leading scared, okay? And when I look throughout history and I look of how the early church was launched, after Jesus died, okay, resurrected, came back, talked to his disciples, the church was launched. We know the Holy Spirit fell in the upper room. The early, the early church just took off. But what we fail to realize is that when the early church was exploding, okay, <clears throat> throughout the Roman Empire, Christians were dying every single day. Some of you are like, this is going to be a good message. 
Okay? Let, me, let me just give you a glimpse. A guy by the name of Polycarp okay, was considered an atheist who fought against the spread of false gods and proclaimed the one true God, Jesus, and through his lack of denial of Jesus as Lord, they burned him at the stake at 86 years of age. A young lady by the name of Perpetua, 22 years of age, she was a young, young woman, had a child, well-educated, and she watched her family and friends gored to death in a Roman arena by a bear, a leopard, and a boar. Her teacher, Satoris, though badly bloodied, survived the first barrage of attacks, and the crowd begged for mercy of his soon-pending destruction of what they saw. Okay, her, Perpetua, was next in line. They brought her into the Roman arena, she begs the crowd to not hold accountable the Roman soldiers and guards that were about to do to her what she knew was coming her way. And then she goes and she sets her head on the stump of a piece of wood and the Roman soldier swings the ax and misses. You could read of the account, okay? Partially kills her. She reaches up, she grabs his hand and she guides the ax to her own neck for the final blow. All of this because they refused to deny Jesus as their Lord. And then here we are today. I wonder how we've gotten to the point to where we're at. We're so scared and timid to share our faith. But what if we decided to give an unwavering yes? And I looked throughout the last uh, century, and I was trying to find men or women that did just this. And I came upon a story of a man known as Brother Andrews. Okay, Brother Andrews, okay, gave his unwavering yes. You could read of the account of his life in the book God's Smuggler. Brother Andrew felt God placed upon his heart that the word of God needed to go into the countries where it was completely outlawed. Nine countries made up during this time what was known as the Iron Curtain. And at 27 years of age, Brother Andrew started smuggling Bibles into the Iron Curtain. You can watch a YouTube video, an interview of him and Pat Robertson. And in that interview, he would describe the scenario to where he would get in his light blue VW van, packed with Bibles, and come up to the border patrol, and they would stop him, make him get out of the vehicle, and they would search that vehicle for Bibles. They knew that he was smuggling them into the Iron Curtain. He said sometimes he would have to stand outside of his vehicle for up to two hours as they marched around it holding their automatic weapons. And he said, while I was outside of my vehicle, I would simply pray this. God, in the Bible, you made uh, blind eyes see. But now I'm asking you to make seeing eyes blind. Okay, pretty amazing, right? He said they would never find them. And he instrumentally started getting the Bible into those communities and countries where it was completely outlawed. He said this, whenever, wherever, however you want me, I'll go and I'll begin this very minute. As I take my first step forward, will you consider this a step toward complete obedience to you? Then this part I'll call my step of yes. This was his unwavering yes. But little did Brother Andrew know that Bibles would begin to infiltrate not only all of Eastern Europe and these countries, but every step was taking him towards something more significant. When he said yes, God was always working. Brother Andrew had a dream, a dream to see to it that a million Bibles would be delivered in one single shipment to communist China. When the, with the help of a gentleman named Thomas Nelson, 
who began to print these Bibles successfully. They printed a million Chinese Bibles, loaded 232 tons of them on a ship in California, and he was there on the ground in China to deliver a million Bibles to the underground church in China. Somebody asked him this question. They said, Brother Andrews, was it dangerous? He said, yeah, of course it was dangerous, but it's more dangerous to not do what God's asking you to do. Okay. Where are we at this morning? What, what is that thing that God is asking us to do that we continue to put off or to deny him of it? And as I looked throughout scripture, man, I was trying to find for that one scenario to where somebody could have said no to what God was asking them to do and understand the impact of what their one decision would have made. Last February, I was in Israel. Okay, I made the trip from Jerusalem, okay, I drove south down toward Gaza. I was on the road. And all of a sudden, as I read this scripture, okay, it came to life for me because I was just there. So let me share with you in Acts chapter 8, when we talk about the very first evangelist in the Bible, okay, Acts chapter 8 verse 26 says this, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, get ready and go south toward the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. This road is not used nowadays, parentheses. So Philip got ready and went. Okay. This scripture came to life for me because I got to tell you, being on that road, there is still nothing on that road today. Okay. Let me give you some backstory of what's happening in Philip's life at this moment. Philip is in Samaria. Okay. Because of a conversation that Jesus had with a woman at a well. Okay, because of that one single conversation, that woman went to Samaria and spread the gospel across that community. Revival is still breaking loose in Samaria. That's why Philip is there. Philip is there spreading the gospel. The Holy Spirit is falling in Samaria. People are receiving the Holy Spirit. Philip is having a great time. And I imagine Nate, right in the middle of a service, the Holy Spirit speaks to Philip and says, hey, Philip, I need you to stop. And I want you to go south toward Gaza. Immediately, like, have you ever read the Bible to where you put yourself in that scenario? Okay, I'm sitting there, I'm reading this, and I'm like, there's no way. There's no way I would stop doing what I'm doing. It'd be like right now, God comes and speaks to Pastor Nate. Okay, things are exploding at restoration in this community throughout New Hampshire. And God would call Pastor Nate to go somewhere that he's never heard of before. Somewhere where there's not even people. There's not even people there. Guys, I got to tell you, on that road, there weren't even trees on that road. There's no water on that road. There is a body of water. It's called the Dead Sea. Nobody's drinking that water anytime soon. Okay, so here you have Philip in the middle of a service where God's using him in a mighty way, and the Holy Spirit speaks to him and says, Philip, I want you to stop, and I want you to go south. It makes no sense on paper when we read this. Okay, Philip understands that there's nothing there. Mark Batterson says, the key to spiritual growth is the willingness to go out of your way for God. He says that you will find God in uncomfortable places at inconvenient times. And if you go out of your way for God, God will always go out of his way for you. Hear me today, church, for Philip to go forward, he had to go down. Down is not just geographical, but down is individual. What do I mean? Okay. Sometimes when God speaks to you and I, we have to make a decision, okay, to go down. 
okay? To get to that moment to where we're willing to humble ourselves and pray and seek him. Because in the most difficult times, have you ever noticed when God asks you to do something really difficult, there's a lot of tension in your life? Anyone? Or is it just me? Okay, that tension. And it's in that moment to where God wants you to seek his face and pray. Tension is good. Tension causes you to move forward. How do I know? Well, have you ever shot a bow before? Okay, I don't know if there's any hunters in this room, but when I draw my bow back, okay, there's tension on that line. Okay, why is the tension there? The tension is good. The tension is sometimes difficult if you're not used to pulling those pounds back, but the tension is there to launch you forward to something that God has waiting for you. Okay, it even happened to Jesus. In Philippians chapter two, we read this. The attitude you should have is the one that Christ Jesus had. He was always, he always had the nature of God, but he did not think that by force he should try to remain equal with God. Instead of this, of his own free will, he gave up all he had and took the nature of a servant. He became like a human being and appeared in human likeness. He was humble and walked the path of obedience all the way to death, his death on the cross. For this reason, God raised him up to the highest place above and gave him the name that is greater than any other name. It doesn't make sense why Jesus had to come die on a cross for you and I. Okay, but God had something greater in store through the death of Jesus. How often do you and I, when God asks us to do something, how often do we say, okay, God, we'll do it if you tell me the details. Right? Okay, God, tell me all the steps. Tell me your master plan. Okay, it could be a new job for less money, but it would be healthier for you and your family. Maybe he's asking you to sell something and give that money away. Maybe he's asking you to call a loved one and ask that individual for forgiveness. Maybe you've had missionaries come through here and the Holy Spirit speaks to you, say, hey, that's you, I want you to go, but you continue to put it off. What if you understood that your yes, your absolute yes, your all in yes could impact the world if you were simply obedient? Philip could have said, wait. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, get up, go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem. The only assurance we have today when we say yes is that faith never knows where it's being led, but it knows the one who's leading it. For me, my yes has always been a gut instinct. Okay, guys, I can't tell you how many times God asked me to do something that made absolutely no sense. For instance, okay, in 2008, when God asked me, Okay, to leave the church I was on staff for 360 days I was there. It was, it was an amazing time. He said, Eric, I want you to take this position back in Alton, Illinois. Guys, I'm from the Northeast. I'm from Pennsylvania, from the Berg. My wife's from New York. Like, I hate the Midwest. I gotta tell you, I call Missouri misery. It's where God took me just to be abandoned. No, I don't mean that, okay? but. <laughs> But the truth of the matter is, okay, Northeast is in our blood. I love the mountains. I love the trees. God, I don't want to go to the Midwest. And God said, hey, listen, you had a good run here in the Pocono Mountain region, but I'm taking you back to Missouri, back to Illinois. Okay, if I wouldn't have gone back, I would have never been there for Taylor. I would have never been there for Nella and Nora. I recognized that in that moment, there was tension. I went down on my knees. I put myself in a humble position. I prayed, and I didn't understand. You see, when God asks you and I to do something, okay, we don't have to know the answer. Okay, He just wants us to be obedient. R.T. Kendall put it this way. When God's speaking to you, God speaks. I obey. God explains. Maybe. 
right? God's just looking for you and I to be obedient. God speaks. I obey. God explains. Maybe. Right? Can you imagine being Philip at that moment? God, I don't want to go south. Our yes is typically based on whether it fits into our lives, if it's convenient to us at the moment, or if it works into our schedule. Philip could have easily waited for God to give him an explanation, but if he did, if he delayed, he would have missed what God had waiting for him. We read on. Acts 8, 28. Now, okay, let me just say this. When you're reading scripture, okay, God puts the words there that he wants us to get. Okay, every single minute detail he puts into that scripture, he puts it there because there's always a reason for it. You with me? Listen to the detail. Now, an Ethiopian eunuch, who was an important official in charge of the treasury of the queen of Ethiopia, was on his way home. He had been to Jerusalem to worship God and was going back home in his carriage. As he rode along, he was reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. Now, what I'm about to share with you is one of the greatest timing patterns of the New Testament. Okay? How many of you watched the two pathetic football games that were on yesterday? <laughs> Gosh, I hope my Pittsburgh Steelers don't play that bad. Okay? We all, if we watch football, we know what a timing pattern is. A timing pattern is when the QB says hut and the wide receiver is trying to get to a specific location because the quarterback is throwing the ball to that location, not to the receiver. It's all about timing. There's a timing pattern going on right here in this scripture. Okay, God is looking for Philip to simply obey, to simply go south. Understand this. I believe Philip gets up. He leaves Samaria. We know he goes south. Okay, if I were Philip, I would be sitting there sulking the entire time. Okay, because being in that area and knowing that there's nothing there, you can't even find shade because there's no trees. He's just hanging out south of Samaria, just waiting for the Holy Spirit to show him why he's there. Okay, God, there's nothing here. I'm sweaty. I'm cranky. I enjoyed myself in Samaria. I was much better off there than here. Okay, I can't even get a drink because it's just a dead sea. Like, that's what we would do. We would just complain even though God spoke. And then all of a sudden, Philip hears something. He hears the sound of horses and, and a carriage coming down the road. And the Holy Spirit in verse 29 speaks to Philip and says, go over to that carriage. Now, immediately my mind goes, okay, this is the master plan, right? You bring me all the way from Samaria to this spot in the middle of the desert, and there's a carriage, and you tell me to go over to the carriage and stay close to it. But Philip's obedient. God has shown himself to Philip before. He trusts God. So he goes over and he starts walking alongside of this carriage. And then he hears the man inside the carriage reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. And he asked him, do you understand what you're reading? The official replied, how can I understand unless someone explains it to me? And he invited Philip to climb up and sit into the carriage. The passage of scripture which he was reading from was this. Now remember, this just isn't a man. Okay, the Bible doesn't say this is an Ethiopian, the treasurer of, for the queen of Ethiopia. It, it goes in detail, right? He was an Ethiopian eunuch. eunuch. Everyone knows what a eunuch in the room is, right? 
because of his obedience and his service to the king, he allowed himself to be castrated so the king didn't have to worry about him sleeping with his wife. Okay? Out of loyalty to the king, he made this decision. And then he's reading this. He was like a sheep that was taken to be slaughtered. Like a lamb that makes no sound when its wool is cut off. He did not say a word. He was humiliated and justice was denied him. No one will be able to tell about his descendants because his life on earth has come to an end. Do you think that verse was hitting him differently? Right? Man, that, he was, no one can tell of his descendants. This man could never have kids. And he's reading this scripture, and all of a sudden, God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, aligns Philip to be in that same exact location to hear him reading that word from the scripture. And Philip jumps up, and he says, wait a second. And the official asks him, tell me of whom this prophet is saying this, of himself or someone else. Then Philip began to speak, starting from this passage of scripture. He told him of the good news of Jesus. As they traveled down the road, they came to a place where there was some water. And the official said, here's some water. What's to keep me from being baptized? The official ordered the carriage to stop. And both Philip and the official went down into the water and Philip baptized him. Can you imagine being Philip in that moment when he recognized why he was there? Okay. I know I've been I've been to that place before with God. God, I'm an idiot. Okay. Yep. Yep. You asked me to do this, and I questioned you the entire way. I don't know why I questioned you, God. You always know what you're doing. Okay. The issue is, is we always want to know the details, but that's not how this thing works. You know, I've been to Africa seven times, and every time I go over there, we always end the trip by doing a safari. Okay. One of my most favorite animals to see live wild, free in the safari is the impala. Fun fact about African impala. Okay, an African impala, when it's running full speed, can jump 30 feet forward with one single jump. Or 10 feet high. 30 feet forward, 10 feet high. Okay, in Springfield, Missouri, we have a zoo called Dickerson Park. Ever heard of it? It's massive. I'm joking. Okay, but like any other zoo, like Somehow Dickerson has impala. We, okay, mankind, humans, we, we're crafty. Okay, at our zoos, we create these enclosures and we put these impala inside these enclosures, okay? And they're, they're down below the ground and they're just roaming around. And I'm always thinking one word when I look at those African impala. Jump! <laughs> Go! You can do it, jump! You can be free, jump! But you know, fun fact about African impala is this. Impala won't jump to places they can't see. That's why when you look at the enclosures, they're either down below the ground or there's a high fence around them because they won't jump. Even though they can, they won't jump to places that they can't see. Well, what about you and I? Okay. What if we would just jump even though we can't see? What if we knew what our obedience would lead us to. Let me just give you a glimpse this morning. Back at the turn of the century, a volunteer in a church named Ed Kimball who led a Sunday school class for 17 young men. He said that 16 of them were great kids, but that there was one in particular that was a troublemaker. He would distract the other boys, and when he wasn't distracting them, he would be sleeping. 
He was completely uninterested in anything that Ed would teach on. But Ed made a decision to do something unconventional. He knew where this young man worked in downtown Boston at a shoe store. And he decided to go there during his lunch hour, thinking that if he could just separate him from the rest of the boys, maybe he could get through to him. Ed Kimball worked up the courage to go down to that shoe store. He paced back and forth, waiting for his noontime waiting for the noontime hour Dwight's lunch break. As the clock struck 12, he approached him and asked him for a moment of his time. It was during this conversation on the streets of Boston that Dwight gave his life to Jesus because of Ed's flexibility and patience. As I call him Dwight, the world knows him as D.L. Moody, one of the great American evangelists who's responsible for leading over a million people to Christ. But the story doesn't end here because this is just a moment. D.L. Moody has been preaching in Europe and America. And in one of those conversations, he leads to the Lord a man by the name of Wilbur Chapman, who's one of the great Bible teachers and theologians of our time who wrote a ton of discipleship material. Okay, Chapman then leads to the Lord a major league baseball player who played for the Chicago White Sox named Billy Sunday, who was so touched by God that he left the major leagues and decided to preach all over the United States. But he wasn't ordained, so he couldn't preach in churches, so he began to set up tents all over the United States. He set up a tent in Asheville, North Carolina, and during one of those tent revivals, a really tall, blonde-headed kid came to the altar, gave his life to Jesus. We know him as... Billy Graham doesn't stop there. Man by the name of Andrew Andrew Carlson, okay, from New York, alcoholic, okay, decided that he needed to get his life right, put himself into AA for the sake of his family. While he was at AA, somebody handed him a cassette tape from a Billy Graham tent crusade. And through listening to that tape, to the words and the power that Billy Graham spoke with, that man gave his life to Jesus. Came home, okay, looked at his youngest daughter who was, still the only, who was the only child who was really involved at home at that time and said, we have to go to church. They pulled out this thing called a phone book. Opened it up to the yellow pages. Young people, that's Google today, okay? And they started looking at what church to attend and they started with the A's and what was crazy was back then, the first church that you would see in the A's was the Assemblies of God. So they started attending a church, Yorktown Assembly of God in New York. And there his daughter gave her life to Jesus, became an honor star missionette. Okay, started diving in and, and eating, devouring the word of God. She decided that she wanted to attend a program to become a pastor, a kid's pastor in State College, Pennsylvania, where she met a young man named Eric Hoffman. Married four children, their son, Matt, his wife, Taylor, full-time youth and kids pastors in Missoula, Montana. Wouldn't it be a lot easier to say yes if we could see where that yes leads us to? And Philip had no idea, church, what his yes was leading him to. He thought it was just that moment to impact one life. But I read an article in the Wall Street Journal, okay, published a few years ago. It said this, that right now on the continent of Africa, there are over 800 million people, and they believe that half of them are Christians today, and that all started with one conversation that happened between Philip and an Ethiopian eunuch. Okay? What if, what if we truly understood 
that our unwavering yes may not impact the people in our lives right now. You may not even see it while you're alive, but does it really matter? What if we led this thing in such a way to where this generation and the next generation and the next generation have this unwavering faith in the audacity that God is, who he says that he is, and desires to do what he says that he'll do? Okay, what if we recklessly gave our life to him? Okay, in the way that the martyrs did in the first century after Jesus' death, unashamedly being out in public squares proclaiming the name of Jesus. What if our kids saw that in you and I? Then how would they lead? I think it's time. I think it's time that his church, his creation, you and I, Okay, give him an unwavering yes to where we're all in in everything we do. We recognize that this is just an area that we're getting to pass through. This is not our home. Our home is in heaven with the Father, our creator. But while we're here, while you're watching online, God wants to impact your life in a way that you've never been impacted before. He wants you to give this unwavering yes so you never have doubt in where he'll lead you to and how he'll guide you to get there. Okay, you just say yes because that's what we do. So if you're here this morning and you say, Eric, that's me. I just I want to give my yes. And I want to ask worship team if they'd come up at this moment. And if you're watching online or at one of the campuses, I want you to respond. Okay, Giving an unwavering yes is not always easy. I tell the young people in churches as they travel the nation, we have an opportunity to declare Jesus the Lord of our life. Okay, I don't take that lightly. Okay, I think sometimes we just go through the motions and we neglect the fact that he actually does want us to jump. Okay, jump not knowing where it will lead us to, but jump knowing who's leading us to that moment. And if you're here and you think that he can't forgive you, that he can't love you, like Pastor Nate, I've heard it before. Oh, I can't walk in that church building. The ceiling will cave in. Well, I got to tell you, I'm here and it hasn't caved in. Okay, so if God can forgive me, okay, he can forgive anybody. Okay, someone who is bound by generational pornography and generational addiction, if God can infiltrate and impact my life, okay, knowing that I'm going to give him my yes in everything I do, then he can forgive you. He can love you. You could declare him the Lord of your life. It's just with a simple yes that you do so. There's people out in this community and the communities that you're in that you're watching online that their lives depend on you. They depend on you to get it right, right now, okay? Gone are the days to where the church is over-challenged and under-delivering. Guys, it's time we deliver the promise that we know to be true. So if you're here this morning, and if any of that applies to you, if you'd say, Eric, I'm giving my unwavering yes, no matter what the cost. I'm giving my yes of obedience. I'm giving my yes to share my faith with family and friends. I'm giving my yes to be an example in my community and across the state. If any of that applies to you, I want to ask you just where you're at, just to stand to your feet right now and just begin to worship him. If you say, Eric, I'm going to give my yes. 
I'm going to give my yes and I'm going to proclaim him in everything I, I do. I'm going to give my yes and I'm going to be an example in my workplace. I'm going to give my yes and I'm going to let my, those on my campuses see that I am a follower of Christ. I'm going to give my yes and my family is going to start recognizing that there's something different in me. I'm going to give my yes and I'm going to trust him even though I don't know what's happening tomorrow. I'm going to give my yes knowing that it doesn't matter what the doctor says that he can heal me no matter what the scenario is. Father, I thank you, and I give you praise this morning. God, I pray that you would just move in the hearts of the people here. God, as we give you our unwavering yes, we love you and we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.